sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. It is always a pleasure to promote the foremost religious liberty magazine in the nation, bar none, Liberty, a magazine of religious freedom published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, my own. True disclaimer, I serve on the editorial board and maybe once in a while even something for publication. Our guest today is the new editor of Liberty Magazine, my friend and colleague, Bettina Krauss. Bettina, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thanks, Alan. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. And we're going to go ahead and do a little bit of a lightning rod sort of introduction to a future issue of Liberty, which people can read online at libertymagazine.org, libertymagazine.org. And of course, we encourage you to get the print version as well, and even to distribute it if you are a friend and lover of religious liberty. Let's start with an article about Muslims and evangelicals bridging a divide on religious freedom. That sounds rather unlikely. Tell us about that article, Bettina. Well, you know, there is a sort of a palpable divide between Christians and Muslims on many levels, you know, cultural and social, political Within um, the American context, I mean, you have polls coming out that show there was one in 2017 that a full two-thirds of evangelical Christians believe that Muslims are not part of mainstream society. And then you have in the same poll, 74% of Americans saying that Muslims are more prone to violence than others in society. And so you have, um, I guess, a number of prejudices and biases that seem to be pretty pervasive in a system. Um, the article that you know you referenced, Alan, was written by a Muslim lawyer, a constitutional lawyer, and also an advocate for religious freedom. Her name is Asma Uden, and she is prolific on this subject. And she really brings to this issue, um, you know, that a sense of um, immediacy, and she puts a human face on it because she has experienced this prejudice, even though she has stood in court and defended Sikhs, Muslims, um, evangelical Christians, Catholics, you know, the full range, even though she advocates for others, she has felt this, um, what she calls um, being belonging to an out group in society. Well, so does she have, you know, you said the article is about bridging the divide on religious freedom. And I certainly think among the religious freedom community, there's great receptivity to the rights of Muslims as well as to Christians, and mutually so. But what about beyond just this sort of rarefied uh, small community of, of lawyers and scholars that work on these issues? What about bridging the divide more generally in our churches and mosques? Well, yes. And, and, you know, much of what she has written for Liberty Magazine is dealing with the problem. But the last part is dealing with a potential solution. And that really means 
helping those of us who are, and I say us because a Christian in America, I do belong to what she would call the in-groups, a group that has, you know, more cultural and legal power traditionally, you know, helping members of the in-group empathize and understand um, what the experience is like of belonging to an out-group, such as members of uh, the Muslim American community and helping them to understand that religious freedom is not a tool for amassing cultural power or or status. It's a tool for everyone and for protecting all faiths, not just that of your own community. And so she really sees religious freedom as sort of a value that can float above. If it's presented in the right way, it's a value that can float above, transcend uh, you know, these inbuilt prejudices that divide us into in-groups and out-groups. Um, and if we can all sort of grasp a hold of this sort of overarching idea of religious freedom, it can help us have more empathy with each other, understand each other's experiences, and work together towards shared goals, which is preserving religious freedom for everyone. You know, before we go on to our next story, chapter 20, where Jesus reminds the disciples that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you. He who would be great among you should be as a servant. And as we all, regardless of our faith, serve others who have less cultural power, less freedom, what have you, that is our true greatness as Christians when we serve one another rather than seeking to exploit positions of power and authority. Absolutely. Moving on, another very interesting, speaking of minorities and those without power, a teenage track star, a Muslim track star, a runner, disqualified running from uh, competing because she would not take off her hijab. She would not take off her headscarf and they wouldn't let her run with her scarf on. I would think that that would not be conducive to greater speed, but if anything, would be a hindrance. But tell me what this story is about. Right. In a way, Alan, is exemplifying the, you know, the concrete, the practice of the abstract theory that we talked about with Asma's article, because what you have here is um, a young woman who um, actually what happened, she was allowed to run with a hijab. It's just she ran and she was disqualified. Her time was not recorded. She ran her personal best time. She looked up at the winner board and her name was not there. She went to her coach. Her coach said, the officials have just told me they can't count your time because you didn't get permission to run in hijab. But she had been running in her Muslim garb for all the years of her um, track career. It was only as she was getting into the higher echelon of the track world that um, this rule kicked in. Um, you know, and a lot of people would have just, or teenagers would have turned away and should have said, well, I know for next time I've got to get, I've got to jump through the hoops. I've got to get the special permission. Um, and, but she said, no, this experience has made me feel less than. And she launched um, a website called Let Nor Run, and she generated an enormous amount of buzz. And then you have an Ohio state senator who heard about this story. The story came across her desk. And this woman, she's a Christian. She's a mom of, I believe, three kids who all love sports. 
And she looked at this story and thought, my goodness, what would my kids feel if they had been disqualified for wearing a symbol of their faith? Um, and so she teamed up with Noor and together they have um, drafted a piece of legislation that deals with this issue of religious apparel in athletic events um, in Ohio. And it's uh, passed the Senate and it's pending in the House and they have really raised awareness about what it means to be a champion for religious freedom um, and working together, different faiths working together to support religious freedom. That's a fantastic story. And it looks like I'm looking on the web, it looks like a lot of folks have jumped on and uh, tried to uh, put advertising in to divert searches from the original. So I can't even find the right website. Huh. Um, the last story we're going to talk about, I think, is a, um, a bit of research that I find especially interesting about the inverse relationship between the health of the church and the amount of status and privilege that the church has in a particular country. Mm. Um, you know, I've often said that the Christian church is thriving the best in countries like China, mm. where they have the most severe circumstances. But this apparently is a study that uh, confirms what, you know, my sort of hot observations have been. Huh. So talk to us about this. So I came across this research in the Oxford Journal of Sociology um, some months back, um, and it is a couple of researchers from Singapore, of all places, who have um, looked at data coming out of 166 countries between 2010 and 2020. And their goal was to correlate um, the level of legal and social comfort or preference that was given to Christianity in a given country with the um, health of the Christian church in that country using a number of different criteria to determine health. Um, and yes, surprisingly enough, it was, there was this paradox. It was the countries where um, Christianity has the least amount of government level support where Christianity is most vibrant and growing. So take the case of South Korea, for instance, which a century had zero Christian presence pretty much. Um, whereas today they have, if you look at the number of missionaries they send out, they are the world's leading exporter of Christianity. And the interesting thing about South Korea is that there is zero preferential treatment for Christianity at the government level. And you see that throughout Asia. And yet in Asia over the past 100 years, Christianity has grown at a rate twice the rate that population has grown. Whereas you look then at a country such as the United States, where at least traditionally, and some would argue today, there is a, uh, a comfort, I guess, within the political space for Christianity. You know, it is the traditional religion of the nation. Um, yet you have a rate of decline that is alarming. You know, we have less than 50% of the population that is affiliated with any particular denomination. You have the growth of the so-called nuns who identify with no denomination. And this is just one of the countries where um, the researchers found this very unusual paradox 
Um, and so, you know, they're not drawing too many conclusions from it. They're simply presenting their data. But it is fascinating um, to see this um, statistical pattern uh, repeated internationally. Well, you describe it as a paradox, but I beg to differ. Okay. Because to me, it is just um, basic that, you know, we become much too comfortable. Right. And it doesn't cost us anything to be a Christian. And so the standards become very kind of low. You know, I have been fond of saying, Bettina, and pastors of many different denominations, um, they may wince, but they agree with me when I point out that in America, everybody likes to identify as Christian, but very few have much interest in the actual teachings of Jesus. You know, there's, there's little interest in turn the other cheek, love your enemy, you know, uh, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. No, you know, we're interested in power, we're interested in, you know, whatever side I'm on, my team needs to win. Um, you know, whether you're a, a MAGA Trumpster or, uh, you know, one of those, quote, libs, you know, we all want to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hate the other team. So, you know, none of this love your enemy stuff. It's, uh, you know, take a, an AK-47 to a knife fight instead of a knife to a gunfight and obliterate the uh, the enemy. Right. It's not love your enemy. Uh, so forgive me for, for ranting here because... I see that we're pretty much out of time, but uh, Liberty Magazine, fantastic magazine. We're delighted to have you as our new editor, Bettina Krauss, our guest today. We looked at some stories from Liberty Magazine. Please check it out online, uh, libertymagazine.org, and by all means, get your own subscription. Thank you, Bettina. Thanks, Alan. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. 